And we'll just sort of pick up wherever we pick up. Is it on now? It is recording. So, as actually mentioned last time, before we started recording, people can just uh, listen to the ASMR sounds of eating. ASMR is degenerate. As mentioned last time, before we started recording, yeah. It is... It is the domain of some strange people. Yeah. There's something about it, like, uh, I always have to deal with food. They, like, want to show the ins and outs of cooking with, like, hearing, like, every crackle and just strange, and then it gets into eating, and it's even stranger. I guess if someone is, like, morbidly obese and does that instead of getting fatter, it is the better alternative. Still weird. No, it's unnatural. I think just eating more is the better alternative. Yeah, I mean, I know people make that argument for a number of sins, but, like, what are the consequences of listening to someone eat and being weird about it versus stuffing yourself so full you weigh 600 pounds? No, no, I think the listening to it's a little weirder. Listening to YouTube... Probably won't give you a heart attack, though. It won't, but at the same time, there's usually some sort of, like, deeply degenerate, like, sexual thing going on. Yeah, I mean, there there can be additional sins on top of whatever weirdness there is. Speaking of weirdness, I had to uh, pull the plug and leave the podcast slash stream that literally no one cares about the quiet place <laughs> because it was getting a little too degenerate. Well, I mean, isn't it an atheist and an apostate? Aren't those the co-hosts? Yeah, an apostate, a one who is inquiring, so there's one good one. And the other one, the one who's an atheist, he's cool. I mean, literally, they're they're all cool and they're all my friends, but at the same time, yeah, that's actually a good topic for today. We can talk about sanctification because once you, and again, I know this in my personal life as well as far as what I consume media-wise, after you really dedicate yourself to literally just being a Christian, as in you're reading the Bible, going to the church, learning theology, you want to stay away from like really dark and sexually explicit things. Like it just... It turns you off. You want to get away from it because, you know, what's the Bible verse? Literally says we shouldn't go on sinning now that grace abounds. Well, it's also <clears throat> that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of things that you didn't in the past perceive as sin that actually were sin. Yeah, and so that's, that it, is part of sanctification. Is as you are going through <clears throat> this process of sanctification you begin to notice things that you didn't notice before. You begin to not engage in behaviors you engaged in and to engage in new, better behaviors. Yeah. That's that's just part of the process. It's literally, I mean, it's sanctification. It's becoming holy. Granted, you don't achieve perfection in this life or not. No one would, no Christian would say that. Yeah, but I mean, you do get better. You get better, but I think that's really the case that, I mean, you can make the case that that's a very bad downside of not the Lutheran Reformation, but the 
overall broad Protestant Reformation is you did get these ideas start popping up, like the one saved, always saved. Um, well, if you talk about, well, actually, it's Baptist, Reformed, and Baptist and Anabaptist are the same. They like to pretend they're different, but they're really not. But yeah. for the Reformed, you have their misunderstanding of election. We won't go into the topic in depth here for various reasons, but <clears throat> their misunderstanding of election causes huge problems because for them, it's election considered in, well, depending on which form of reform, but essentially in eternity, God rolled some dice or just said, you there, you there, you know, sheep and goats. No matter what you do, nothing in time matters. You could be the worst person ever born. And if you are elected, well, then you're saved. And that's just, it's a complete perversion of what scripture actually says. And yes, you also have the, the once saved, always saved nonsense, which encourages the same thing. Works don't save you. Obviously, the, the pre-Reformation cults, and they are cults, sects, they're not the Christian church. They get things totally wrong in the opposite direction because they read James and other parts of scripture that are addressed to Christians saying that, yes, as a Christian, you should have good works. You know, show me your faith through your works. I can't see inside your mind. I can't see in your heart. I can't see that you're a Christian, but I can see your good works. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's sort of proving to everyone else that you are a Christian. It's not proving it for the sake of proving it. It's proving it because as a Christian, you will necessarily do these things. Yeah, it's see, not that... like the pre-Reformation sects that say, this is part of salvation. Yeah. They get that wrong. Well, you'll, you'll necessarily do things, and you also necessarily will repent, which is still doing something. But you will, you know, your works can show up in what you repent of. Like well, if you, before baptism... You, you repent, but God is the one getting the credit because you can't repent without the Spirit. Yeah, fair, but basically the argument that gets made by not not just the quiet place but you know different various people is like okay now that we are christian there's yeah the work is done but it's like we have a past to do whatever because the bible says sin is still in us and you know whoever says that sin is not in them is lying yeah. well, they see that as yeah. like a, a past to just okay since sin's still in me and I can't do anything about it, I might as well just delve into the worst things ever. And <laughs> there's, not... there's a difference between still being a sinner and actively pursuing sin. Yeah. And even, again, this comes down to, you know, the passive act of reading, because this could be a, uh, you know, a, a topic that would get brought up a lot. Now, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say you shouldn't read certain books. Because, again, the early church definitely encourages, and they even saw it as, you know, like it was just a thing that you did. You would be reading the pagan writers. You would be reading Aristotle, Plato, etc. I'm not saying that that's a sin, but especially in the modern times when you have fiction that's degenerate just for the sake of being degenerate. Literally, it's better if that stuff would just be burned and you get away from it. Well, that is a Christian position. People would... At least Americans will argue that you know burning books is always bad because it's this weird, distorted conception of freedom of speech. Well, one of the things that's literally praised in the pages of the New Testament is burning books. Yeah, 
specifically burning occult books. Yes. The worst offenders when it comes to books that should be burned. Yeah. Now, I actually had a burning party uh, this year. I burned the Gnostic Gospels. I burned the Upanishads, or how you pronounce them. Yeah. A couple paranormal books. I mean, just a, a couple of David, uh, David Icke books as well, because he's basically just a Gnostic conspiracy theorist, which that's the thing. A lot of these conspiracy theorists are just open Gnostics. They will not go to church. They will claim to be Christian in some sense, but they will not. Well, David Icke doesn't, but many of these guys do. But they're always against the church. Yes. They think that every... They always think organized religion is a problem. Yeah. And literally, if you're against organized religion, you're an enemy of God and will be in hell. Most likely. Well, it's, it's because they think they're enthusiasts, realistically, is what they are. They think that they're going to have some sort of private revelation, some insight, and that that is what makes you truly religious or spiritual, whatever it is they happen to say. Yeah. And that's not how it works. God works through means, one of which is the Word. Yeah. And despite what the Roman Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox would like to claim, the Word is clear. You can read it and understand it. Yeah. A man of average intelligence can read Scripture. Will he miss some things? Of course. Will he get the important things? Yes. That's true, but then there's the other side that the devil has kind of run with in modernity, and not just modernity, I mean, it's around the time of the Re Reformation, too. Once you believe that, that the average person can read Scripture, all of a sudden you have people of below average intelligence thinking that, well, they're the common man, so they're you know, they can read the Bible, get a revelation, and then all of a sudden they can be in a divine office. You mean Baptist? You mean Baptist? Yeah, Baptist. The thing is, it's like they deny that there's an office related to this stuff, that there's an actual church with a hierarchy within it. And again, that's a big reason I left Wells, because it's so close to that, this uh, egalitarian view of the ministry or the functional view. And... To me, that's so close to what the evangelicals, the Baptists, etc. claim. And, I mean, it falls apart when once you start talking about, okay, who can administer the Lord's Supper? Because I actually asked a uh, Wells person this one time, they're just like, anyone. You know, your your uh, daughter can give you the Lord's Supper. You're because they, they take the universal priesthood too far. They don't realize there's a distinction between priest and pastor. Yeah. Just as there are distinctions between... Pastor and deacon, or pastor and elder. There is overlap in these, but they are not identical offices. Yeah. So, how much did you really know about that uh, that particular doctrine? Like, is it something you've actually read up on quite a bit, or is it just... Which, which one? The uh, Wells functional view of the ministry. Like when, I have you, read about it, yes. So, like, when you became a Lutheran, did you make any of your decisions based on that particular doctrine, as far as, okay, I'm going to join the LCMS, or I'm going to join Wells or ELS, etc.? I didn't look into the Wells ministry of the doctrine that much yeah. until I was already attending an LCMS church. But I did look at the Wells conception of fellowship. And that's also wrong. Yeah. And 
based on that, I decided not to even really look at Wells. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is that they're getting so insane about, you know, binding people's consciences to things outside the Book of Concord. But then they also have this thing in there that says, okay, if you don't have complete doctrinal agreement, you know, you're out. Well, that kind of leaves the door open for them to just invent heresy and be like, okay, you're with us or against us. There can be no, you know, no discussion. Well, they also don't really hold to their own doctrines because good luck finding even a Wells pastor who won't pray with his family members who are not Wells. Yeah. I don't think there are too many Wells pastors out there who are refusing to pray with grandma because she's still a Baptist. I, you never know. I'm sure there are some. They're pretty crazy. But it's bro. not going to be 100%. But Wells is also relatively small. So just in terms of relevance, the LCMS is the most relevant Lutheran body really in the world at this point. Oh, yeah. Totally. And see, that's the thing that's really sad because I'll, I mean, I'm not going to speak for like every single branch in Europe. It seems like there something just happened in Europe. I mean, I'm sure people talk about it all the time, but from someone who doesn't know mu that I mean, much you know, about it, like just, why just did it happen? three world wars, you know, nothing, nothing big. Yeah, but why does that? Why did that lead them to just becoming a hostate? Well, okay, I understand now because now there's a new order that's decidedly not Christian. So. Which, you know, it's actually ironic because America seems to be like the bastion of that particular thing. And we actually have the best church. Or at least the largest slash best. There's still probably some good ones in Europe, but not necessarily. Well, yes, we, do, we do have sister congregations, synods in Europe. Yeah. So are any of those actually the state churches, or will they be pretty small and independent? As we do not have any sister bodies that are state churches, as far as I know. Sam. What about the dude, the uh, bishop? I think, it, I think it was Swedish. Maybe in Finnish. Yeah, Finnish. The, uh, the bald dude, he got put in jail for uh, preaching against gays or something. Yeah, they every so often a, a lawsuit or some sort of government action crops up with regard to that in various European countries. So you don't happen to know the incident I'm talking about, though. It was very recent. No, like, I know, I know who it was, but so was that within? Are um, we? I don't communion? remember which body. I don't remember to which body he belongs. I'm not as familiar with. The Lutheran bodies in Finland. I know they have a very pretty church, at least one large one, with a totally unpronounceable name. Speaking of Finland and Lutheranism, did you ever read uh, what's his name's book? Yes. Hey, what was his name? Simioki. Uh, yeah, Elias Simioki. So you actually read the whole book? What did you think about it? Yeah, it's, it's a good book. It's worth reading. I'll read it. No. This is, this is informal. We can talk about those books and Antelope Hill because 
I don't know. How big a fan are you of Antelope Hill? I like them quite a bit. They are publishing a lot of good stuff. They're they're a mixed bag politically and theologically, but I mean, I don't really go to my publishing house for necessarily for sound theology and doctrine. I should be able to do that with regard to CPH, but we know the problems that <laughs> yeah. CPH happens to have. It's still the best one around, but being the best one around is not really an excuse for certain behaviors. Yeah. Well, I mean, MPH is okay. Obviously, they're like super well specific because they're owned by the Wells. Although I think I may have something from them. I always stick up for Siebert Becker, like his book on Reve uh, Revelation, the Distant Triumph Song, and then also yeah. Foolishness of God, which was the first Lutheran theology book I read, actually. And I'll, you know, I don't remember anything off about that one because, I mean, it was just, you know, basic Lutheran doctrine, so no ministry talks, but they're pretty good. The only thing about MPH is that they have horrible covers, whereas CPH, like, they actually know how to make a book that looks like something you would want to read. That's a fair point. I mean, even the Bibles they put out, just there's something off about them. It's like they're not... I don't know. Maybe it's they want to also be independent from, like, good publishing etiquette. <laughs> and so they have their own, that, like, that would be That'd theory. be very Wells, would being be. independent for the sake of being independent. Yep. And being wrong in the process. Yeah. Oh, gosh. There's going to probably be some people, Matt, or, you know, annoyed at our comments on Wells. I mean... I'm not like again like super hyper against Wells or anything. Wells like that. is the weird younger brother who would really like to be exactly like his older brother, but is deliberately not like him because yeah. he wants to be his own person. Well, it's actually that's the thing, and that gets into like what I was talking about with some of the issues with Quiet Place is like they're this stubborn, like independent mindset, and that's not always a good thing. Because if you're deliberately against like your elders or your betters, etc. You know, you can, you know, it might be young and a youthful revolution at the start, but it quickly decays if you're wrong. Because if, you know, you're fighting for something that's lame, 20 years down the road, it's still going to be lame. And, you know, <laughs> there's something just about the independent mindset, which, yeah, you need to be independent in the sense that you well, can think for it's yourself. It's that youthful rebelliousness. And some organizations and some men just never grow out of it. It's true. And if you're still acting like a 14-year-old in high school when you're 41, there's a problem. Yeah. It's true. I mean, there's, I know a lot of people like that. And it's very sad that those people, they're always against the church. They are, they quickly date themselves because, like, for instance, they'll be into something like punk. And when we think of punk rock now, yes. we think of old people being like, hello, fellow Zoomers. and Or, or you know, yo-yoing, perhaps. Yeah, yo-yoing. <laughs> Gosh. No, I don't even think that was cool in this particular person's youth. I think he probably got beat up. I actually have a friend from middle school who went to national championships for yo-yoing. Oh, gosh. Do you think he's better than this person we're talking about? Probably, yes. I would, I would say yes. Maybe not anymore. I don't know if he still does at all. Probably not. Most people grow out of that. 
Some people don't. And when you have like a million things of content to produce, you got to do something. Some people should perhaps take up lifting heavy objects instead of yo-yos. Yeah. Or helping you put together the German star that you purchased for uh, the church. Yeah. Hey, I got it done. Just What's took, it called again? Like, it's a Moravian star. It only took like 30 minutes. It's not that bad. Well, you had to sit out of the congregation voting. No, I still voted. I was just in the back. But were people I paying hear, attention I to hear. you, though? Yeah, you just have to listen to what's being said. Yeah. Okay, so speaking... none of the none of the matters today were, you know, controversial. This was just routine business. Yeah. Speaking of voting, you know, that's another Wells thing. They always say that like voting is, uh, you know, it should women shouldn't be allowed, and I agree with that. They are correct in that women. They're correct, and but... that's that's not limited to the church. Incidentally, women should not be allowed to vote. Period. Yeah, I agree with that. But the thing is, like again, I'm not going to mention like the church name or anything, but. My old Wells Church, women can vote. And, you know, Wells always act like, oh, they've got that, they hold that over us. And I'm like, what? You do? I've never experienced that because my home church didn't follow it. Yeah, Wells is strange when it comes to the issue of women. It's, it seems like on the books, they're fairly good on the issue. But they're apologetic in practice. In practice, they're terrible on the issue. And they're terrible on the issue in part because of their doctrine of the ministry. If you don't believe that, the office of the holy ministry is instituted by God and that God set these certain requirements for it, then you eventually are going to wind up saying, well, why can't women do everything? Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. I made a post about it and made a couple people mad. I was just like, okay, within the Wells Doctrine, and again, I might be under misunderstanding something, but if there's this one office of gospel proclamation and they consider teachers just as called as a pastor like literally that i've heard that quote yes. like you know i consider this teacher to be just as called as me, called as me and that there's only one office the gospel proclamation would that not technically make every woman teacher who's called a pastor like they're going to say no that's not her she's not functioning in that regard but when you're talking about the office like if there's only one office and she's in it she's in it i got i don't get a way around there the doctrine does not make very much sense. And obviously we, we've seen in practice what happens and Wells will absolutely, if they last long enough, ordain women before the LCMS, the LCMS will never ordain women. Our doctrine simply makes it impossible to do that. There would be an immediate split over that in the yeah, LCMS. We're making an ontological argument. And yeah, I mean, that's, is... that's one of the, the few things where in the LCMS, we would actually do what we used to do and call an emergency session because that's the sort of thing over which we did call emergency sessions. So if someone ordains a woman, that's it will be handled. That is a problem we will not have. Yeah. I don't see how Wells defends against it. I also don't see how Wells justifies their doctrine of the office of holy ministry not being found in Scripture, because Scripture clearly lays out requirements for pastors. Yeah. That's, that's an institution of a divine office if... The divine scriptures are laying out requirements for that office. Well, what they'll do, the proof text with Ephesians, I think it's four twelve, whereas uh, like teachers and pastors like listed together, they'll be like, oh yeah, so see, there's a pastor. Well, that just means that women can't be either. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine with exegeting it that way, by all means. 
Yeah, the thing is, I don't think that's right because they're not... That verse is not saying that there, there can be some other, like, office. It seems like it's all grades within the office of holy ministry, which they are, finds its fulfillment they are related. in the pastoral office. Pastor and teacher are distinct but overlapping offices. Just what, what as was it you said last time, all just pastors as, can teach, but not all te teachers can be a pastor. Yes, exactly. It's yeah, it's the same thing as you know, dog versus gold retriever. All pastors should be able to teach. That is part of their office. That's part of what they're supposed to do. They may not be the best teachers. They may not teach everything, but they are supposed to be apt to teach. Yeah, and. While we're at it, theologian is another office that is distinct from pastor and teacher. Now, a theologian may very well also be a teacher, and in very rare, exceptional circumstances, a theologian may be a pastor. But typically, pastors are not theologians, and more of them would be better off if they would realize that. Yeah. Having an MDiv does not entitle you to make pronouncements on certainly at least novel issues or novel applications of doctrine yeah well the thing is they'll get an mdiv and then all of a sudden they're an expert in hebrew they're an expert in greek they're an expert on literally everything i'm like um from what i've heard about the programs yeah you learn theology but a lot of it's also practical well You're, it should be yeah it should Past, be practical. pastor is a practical position yeah but it's the point it's like they're learning how to practically do this whereas a theologian true you know true and proper is not learning how to be a pastor he is learning how to parse out very difficult well, novel interpretations and also theologian even more so than pastor is going to be an office or a calling to which god is going to suit you with what he has given you yeah either you are going to have the requisite attributes, disposition, aptitudes, what have you, or you will not have them. And if you do not have them, no matter what you do, no matter how much you study, no matter how much time you devote, you will never be a theologian. Yeah. And that, of course, runs directly counter to what Americans believe about most things, because generally speaking, in the U.S. specifically and in the West generally, people have bought into the idea that anyone can be anything if you just dedicate enough time to it. Yeah. And that's not how it works. There are people who are more capable than others. There are people who can do certain things other people cannot do. No matter how much time and effort I put into it, I will never be, I could never be a world-class sprinter. It's not going to happen. I sprint pretty fast. But like, I'm a German. You don't sprint world-class. No, I am a German with a pretty stocky build. I am not a sprinter. I will never be a sprinter. But similarly, there are pastors and they can be excellent pastors. That does not mean that they have the ability to put in the time and the effort and magically become a theologian. No. Because if you do not have the raw material to start, you cannot create the end product. If you are going to create a beautiful work of statuary, you have to start with high-quality marble. That's just how it works. Yeah. And thing is, we all know, okay, so a theologian is going to be someone who loves reading theology, their nose is always buried in a book, etc. I'm sure most of us talking to various pastors have seen, there are some pastors who it's like, 
oh yeah, I didn't like all the book stuff, but oh, I love you know spreading the gospel. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Go out there and spread the gospel. Well, maybe maybe your, your office is evangelist. But <laughs> yeah. there is more to being a theologian than reading, obviously. I mean, yes, you, you do have to do the homework. There, you have to know the history and the arguments and the counter-arguments and all of these things. That's important to know for a theologian. But part of it is just you have to have a certain something in you in terms of ability where you have insight into these topics. Yeah. And that's the big thing. You have to have insight not everyone has insight. And that's in many different fields. That's not just theology. There are attorneys who are better than others because they just have a better intuitive understanding of the law. No matter how many countless hours your paralegal has spent reading statutes and case law and all of that, that person will never rise to the level of someone who has a sort of insight and intuition when it comes to these things. I mean, literally, that's just godly order. God made people to do things. He didn't make one person to do everything. Yes. But he did establish well, one scripture, office. Scripture is very clear. I mean, you have the, the parable of the talents, which, yes, you can read that figuratively, metaphorically, as being talents. It just so happens the word is the same in English. It, you don't have to read it as being money. Because obviously it doesn't just apply to money. It applies to your abilities, your attributes, yeah. the resources, all of these things that God has given you. And God has given more to some people than to others. Yep. Because that is what God and his good pleasure wanted to do. And he is entitled to do that. We don't have to... Literally, say, we can't argue it. No, we can't. It, it's wrong to you know say that God, oh, God was wrong because he, he gave these people these wonderful abilities and he didn't give them to these other people that's not how it works yeah there is a hierarchy everything is hierarchy and in everything there is hierarchy yeah and the thing is a lot of this is also purely practical just because someone is better at doing something it doesn't mean like god loves them more because he's not a respecter of persons i think people just they get really hung up and like jealous over people that it's have that people have no i it's Enlightenment. It's the Enlightenment. People have bought into the Enlightenment ideals of tabula rasa, the blank slate, and the idea, like I said, if you just work hard enough, you can become whatever you want. And it's a pernicious lie, because if you tell someone with an IQ of 80, if you just work hard enough, you'll be able to be just as capable as this genius. That's that's evil. <laughs> you're telling because yeah, they're going to constantly be disappointed. Well, you're, you're telling him someone who is literally twice as capable, and it's not just twice because it is numerically twice, but intelligence is not arithmetic. It's closer to geometric when it comes to increases in IQ. You are telling someone who is may as well be infinitely more intelligent, oh yeah, you can be just as good as this person who is that much more intelligent. It's a lie. It's mean. It's cruel. You train that person for a task to which he is suited. You do not tell him that if you just try harder, if you just work harder, you'll be just as capable as all of these people who are just naturally, inherently better than you. And we don't need to be afraid of saying better, because being more intelligent is better than being less intelligent. Of course, it's a double-edged sword, but that's another assessment. It's a different thing. But God's gifts are good, and the more of the gifts you have received, the better it is. That doesn't mean that God necessarily loves you more, God has shown you favor. He has shown you preferential treatment after a fashion. And part of it, of course, is just inheritance. 
because you inherit all of these things from your ancestors, from your forebears. Yeah, because they're physical. It's like, and, you know, you actually talked about this in, um, I think, the first Stone Choir episode where it's not like, okay, God is just, you know, picking out a soul and getting yeah. it. Like, it, no one is a blank state because there are a lot of the, these factors are determined yes. generations before they're born. Oh, yeah. I've... And it's physical. My intelligence didn't pop up out of nowhere. It's because I have intelligent parents who had intelligent parents who had exactly. intelligent parents, and that's how it goes. God, and part of it is that God blesses those who are faithful to Him. Yeah. And Europeans have been more faithful than any other people on the face of the planet over a course of centuries, and so God blessed our ancestors, and so we are blessed because of our fidelity to God, at least our historical fidelity to God. Obviously, today, there are some serious problems in the West when it comes to Christianity and other such things, but God does bless those who are faithful. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, because we're just taking him at his word. He does say that he will bless those who are faithful to him. And he does also say he will curse those who are not. And, you know, look at Africa, and you can see how that goes. If you're pagan for... 5,000 years, things are going to go poorly for you. Yeah. Particularly when your your forefather is Ham. It was... Yeah, I mean, look at it. There's literally lines that ancient Israel erased that, you know, these people can't even say that they're cursed because they're, they probably, they are no more. They're, their line has the been Canaan, genocide. The Canaanites basically wiped out. Yeah. Not entirely, because the Israelites, of course, did not obey God and did not do as they were told to, and what they were told to do was genocide. Yeah. That word makes people uncomfortable today. See, I just don't get it, because when you read the Old Testament, you can't read it any other way. It's like, you got to oh, wipe out but, oh, every but, oh, but you can if you woman, are... child, everything. Like, literally, God tells yes. the Israelites, well, kill it says, all the children. It says devotion to destruction, which is literally destroying everything. In many cases, it was destroying... The literal buildings and cattle. Not yeah. always the cattle. Sometimes God let them take them as spoils of war. Well, sometimes he told them to burn trees, didn't he? You basically you destroyed everything. Yeah. It, it depends on which conquest you're talking about and when, because they were in some places told they were not allowed to burn fruit trees because God was giving them that land and they wanted to stay fruitful. And so they had to maintain these things that, you know, take time. Yes, obviously God could have miraculously grown new ones for them. But he instructed them not to destroy fruit, fruit trees, which there probably a lot of them, I would imagine, would have been olive trees, which take a fairly long time to grow and start producing. Yeah. But yes, God, God commanded the Israelites to devote to destruction these pagan peoples who had been pagan for centuries and were extremely wicked. Of course, if you start comparing what they did to what passes for normal today in many countries... Maybe we don't compare so favorably. So. Now we're probably heading for destruction. I believe we are. Well, at least it won't be a flood, right? Nah, it won't be a flood. <laughs> that, that only, well, le that only it, leaves open every other option. Well, it might be a flood of something, just not water. Well, a flood of foreigners is a curse, a biblical curse. The Old Testament is very clear about that. Yep. And again, no, we're not supposed to even can't even get into that territory because what was some argument some person made? They're like, okay, if you're being cursed, you shouldn't say anything about yeah. it. You should just yeah. be like, yay, like, like, uh, I, I do not understand. No, you confess your sin, you repent, 
and, and you, you practically pray for, do better. And you pray for God to relent. That is yeah. that is how you are supposed to do it. Uh, but like I was going to say about how people eisegete, which is to say incorrectly, deliberately, often maliciously, interpret those verses as they attempt to spiritualize them away. The Eastern heterodox are particularly guilty of this. They try to explain away literally all of the violence in the Old Testament. They just try to make it all into allegory and metaphor and make none of it literal. And they're insane because the Old Testament is largely composed of historical, historical books. It is largely history. Yes, there is also poetry, obviously. You have the Psalms, you have Ecclesiastes, you have the Song of Solomon. You have poetry as well in there, interspersed in some of the historical books even. And don't but forget fiction. They are historical. Yeah. Particularly the Pentateuch. So when you are describing, and you know, the Chronicles and Kings, and when you're describing the conquest of the Holy Land, well, that's literal, that's history. These things happened. God did command them to kill all of these people. Yeah, be honest. How much time when you go through your daily, uh, or not daily, your yearly, you know, scripture readings, how much time do you devote personally to Chronicles? I wouldn't say I devote particularly much time. I mean, realistically, I probably do read it at least once a year, but it doesn't take that long to read. No, but do you skim it? I, no, I, I read it. I, I don't remember if Chronicles has readings in the, Daily lectionary. Chronicles or Second Chronicles. I feel like, right. yeah, I, I think it does. I don't know about First Chronicles. I don't think First does. I think it picks up in Second Chronicles, but I, I don't remember. Well, I mean, Second Chronicles actually has stuff, whereas I think First Chronicles is just the lists. Not saying yeah, that they're I, not important. I, I can't say that I find the lists particularly interesting. I mean, yes, they're important. They serve a purpose, but that purpose is largely for those who are working in archaeology or yeah. history or something and not necessarily for the average reader who is just going that's a lot of numbers and weird names it would be fun learning more about like the actual archaeological use of it but it is kind of fun to watch pastors or teachers attempt to pronounce those names though okay yeah it's funny to watch them do that and it's also funny to watch them try to chant when they were not i guess raised up in the in the art of chanting. Yeah. Some of those names are horrible, though. Even some of the names that aren't in the list of names are just ridiculous. <laughs> Hebrew is an annoying language. At least they don't make the claim that the Greeks make. The Greeks, there are certain things in Greek where you will either elide or something will change in order to not put harsh sounds next to each other, not to put discordant sounds next to each other. Yeah. So Greek has specific rules to make it sound better. But Greek also will combine things like TH and L in a word, and you'll have flipo or something, and it just sounds... So their, their conception of what does and doesn't sound good is a little off at times. It's not so much euphonious as they so, may pretend. So what's your take on the... Uh, like? Do people ever debate about the accuracy of the Masoretic or, you know, basically their system of, you know, dots and slashes for vowels that came after the time of... Uh... Oh, there, there are people who like to debate that stuff, but we have the scriptures. They are reliable. 
Are there some errors in our translations? Yes. Do they alter anything material? No. No. I mean, you could argue that, you know, the, the mistake in the announcement of the angels in the King James that I believe they dropped an iota, which changed the case. And therefore, instead of saying, and peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests, it's was peace on earth to all men, basically. And so that's, that is a change, because really, Christ comes to bring peace to those on whom God's favor rests, yeah. which is, say, the elect. Because uh, Christ is not actually good news for you if you are to believe her. No, totally. Because your, your sins are forgiven. See, that goes back to but the it doesn't whole, benefit you. Yeah, that goes back to the uh, issue of freedom. It's like, okay, you can't just look at the gospel verses. You also have to look at, like, what he's saying you're being saved from. And it's <laughs> like, if there's no yes. adherence to what the Bible says in terms of law, like, you're going to be lost. Like, you're you're not you don't have the gospel. You have something that you've created in your own mind. I mean, would you say that's a fair assessment or gone too far? No, I think it's fair because why why did Christ have to die? I mean, that's the question, right? Yeah, because you're yeah. a sinner. <laughs> yes, but from what is he saving you? What does his death accomplish? That's you have Sin, to death have and the devil. You you have to have the law there. You have to have. This is the punishment you are not receiving that you very well should receive. Yeah. You need the law in order for the gospel to have any meaning, for, in order for people to actually want the gospel, to be ready to receive the gospel. Yeah. The law prepares the way. And then, of course, after that, the law is still God's eternal will. The law is still good. The law is still applicable to Christians. And, of course, I mean the moral law, not the ceremonial or the civil law. Yeah, see, the people who go crazy about that... You know, eat bacon-wrapped oysters, maybe not oysters, but, you know, bacon-wrapped, whatever, scallops. Yeah, I mean, we, we can sense. talk about people who are annoying all day, particularly like, you know, liberal uh, Lutherans. To me, the absolute worst type of people to deal with on the internet are the boomers who are law followers. And they, they'll hate every holiday. That's, that's true. Like, they, they're they the most insufferable. Yeah, they'll say Christmas and Easter are pagan. It's like, no, they're not. You're an idiot. You just don't know history. They're, they're Christian, and then pagans try to emulate us. And then they'll, they say that they follow the law. You're going, you aren't following the 613 mitzvot. You don't even know what they are. No. You're just a dude who... And not only that, they're really, not relevant. Yeah. They're, they're not relevant, but they're, they're annoying. <laughs> And I some, mean, not the law. And, I'm talking about the people. Yeah, of course. And some of these, the, the people don't even know what they mean. It's like, don't wear mixed fabrics. Can you tell me exactly what that means? Uh, it's probably symbolically like not mixing sin Maybe. with sin. But is with... it? We don't know. Ultimately, we don't, we don't actually know. We, there are, I know the theories. I know which ones are more likely than others. But we ultimately don't know. And so it's good that it's not applicable because we literally could not actually know that we're following it. Yeah. But it's not applicable because the ceremonial law does not apply to us. And so, like I said, eat your bacon and your seafood and, you know, it doesn't don't worry about whether it chews the cud or any of that. It's all irrelevant to us. Yeah. Speaking of which, I will say I believe the rock badger does chew the cud. That's getting into the deep lore because of the I think it was Deuteronomy. But you want to eat a rock badger? No, I'm just saying That's got a, that has to taste awful. 
It probably does, but I am saying I believe that they chew the cud. Because the Bible says they chew the cud. I've got a possum if you want that. Does he chew the cud? That's that's a southern dish. You can have possum, right? Does he chew the cud? I No, right now what he does is harass my chickens. He was in my chicken coop last night. He probably chews the cud. You just don't see him. I'm going to have to go home and catch him. So if you want a possum, I'll freeze him and bring him to you next Sunday. Why did God make them? Because they're so freaking ugly. I, they're great because they eat ticks and other stuff, so they're nice to have around your property. I just don't really want them in my, my chicken coop. Yeah. And my chickens don't want them in there either. They did not appreciate the intrusion. There's something about their tails that I hate. They're just like hairless, weird worm things. Well, it's things. a rat tail. But don't rat tails actually have hair on them? Not really. And to be honest... I'll take I, the possum over a rat. Yeah. I don't know. Rats are kind of cute. Rats are filthy, dirty, horrible creatures, and I hate them. Well, you have to give them a bath. Okay, I next time I have rats out in my barn, I will catch them and I will bring you a bucket full of rats. You have to muzzle it first. Every one of them. They have to be muzzled before I wash them. They have to be muzzled? Yes. I'm not muzzling the rats for you. They have to be muzzled and you have to give them various vaccines. I'm, I'm willing to, I don't know, knock them out first so that you can put the muzzle on them. They also have to vaccinate Which really just means you put the lid on the bucket for a little while. Now, I'm not no, one rats, of these... are, rats are dirty and I do not like them. But I'm I... not one of these anti-rodent people. Now, I've, I've never had a rodent as a pet, but I mean, let's be honest. A rat is like nowhere near as like freaky as a centipede or something. It's like they're still furry. They're mammals, so they're fine. True, but I've never had centipedes infest my barn. I think I'm traumatized because I stepped on a centipede when I was little and it bit like it bit like latched onto my foot and ever since I've been Was that here? Yeah. You got bit by a house centipede? Yeah. That's sad. Well, it wasn't one of the little ones that like scurry. It well, was they, like it was like black. They get like four or five inches long. It, it, okay, this one was black, and it was one of the ones that they're actually like squiggly they're they're not the ones with like a million legs that like look like little mustaches running around there uh, well, yeah those well those those may be centipedes those may be millipedes millipedes have more legs these are the ones that they actually like it's again it was black squirmy and like shiny whereas the other ones they're they look furry kind is this of. in your house yeah literally i looked at my foot and i'm like huh why is this like piece of black lint on my feet like or on my foot like hurt. I don't think I've seen one of those since I moved here. I've seen plenty of the, the millipedes out hiking and the house centipedes. I get those all the time. Yeah. No, this one it, My cat I, kills them. So it wasn't the uh it wasn't like the uh big ones like you see in the woods, like the thick ones. Yeah, that's a, those are millipedes. Yeah, those those are harmless. Yeah. You don't even really see those that much unless you're hiking a lot. I've never seen one in my house that I can recall. But... No, you won't. They they don't want to be in your house. No, this one was like squiggly black and very harmful. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see how that would not be fun. Could be worse. Could be any of the ones they have in the tropical regions. Got a giant one. Or just much worse venom. I've got feeling... really the only thing that's point or venomous here that's actually dangerous would be like brown recluse. 
because even Black Widows aren't that bad. It just it just hurts. Yeah. Then you get bit by a brown recluse. I did. It's not that bad. You could you get antibiotics and stuff, and it's not it's not too terrible. Have you ever I, seen the I pictures that they show you? I don't recommend it. It's not fun. Oh yeah, if you don't get it treated, it can it can do bad things. But I think I don't think they're really certain whether that's the venom or if it happens to be flesh eating bacteria that are living on the spider. But at any rate, do not get bit by those. Yeah. Wear gloves when you're working in the wood pile. Now, as far as snakes, though, we do have like copperheads. Those will pretty much kill you. Uh, I will take those over the water moccasins because water moccasins are aggressive and annoying. Yeah. They will actually, if you're out like kayaking, they will swim straight at you. <laughs> and you have to whack them with like, you have to time it and whack them with a paddle. I hate them. It's funny. A miserable, annoying snake. I mean, I literally hate all snakes. I mean, I don't get how people find them cute. Oh, they'll also, uh, they'll hang out in a tree near the water. So if you happen to be kayaking under the tree, a snake may just drop out of the tree on you. Well, we were uh, on a uh, riverboat, uh, not riverboat, like a, a tube one time going down the river. And someone had like a snake like hooked on a wire. It was, I mean, a uh, fake snake. Yes, yeah. And seeing people just jump out of the raft and get super scared. Like they got my dad. It was very funny. Well, yeah, if, if you see it and you're in the water, it's probably a water moccasin. And those are horrible. You ever been bitten by one? No. I've seen them when hiking. I do not like them. I'll this, take, I'll take gopher snakes, though. I like those. You know, this episode started off was like, okay, let's first trash this podcast, and then let's trash this denomination of Lutheranism. Now we're like reminiscing about snakes and centipedes. In fairness, atheists and snakes are pretty much related, so, you know, it works. Yeah. I don't know. You're going to uh, need another beer, I think. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely getting another beer. Waiting on you to get yours done. Well, when I get a liter and you get a half liter, you are going to finish yours faster, usually. Maybe not. I drink rather slowly. Yeah. I have a friend who drinks his beer quite slowly, and I usually go through three while he goes through one. I stopped drinking the liters when we came here just because a liter kills me. Know what it well, is. you know, if you drink two half liters, that is still a liter. That's true. Well, there was one time I actually drank two liters here, and I was dead to the world for a little <laughs> while after that. That's just a, a normal Tuesday in Germany. <laughs> They're better drinkers than I am, even though I have like 25% of their blood. It's that other 75% must be Amerindian. No, I think it's Irish. So, I mean, I'm, well, then you have no excuse. Yeah, I don't have an excuse. I'm just pathetic. In fairness, are the Irish good at drinking or do they just really enjoy it? It's probably the latter. Because they do get tanked and get in fights. Germans yeah. don't get in fights when they're tanked. True. There's some singing sometimes. Although the Irish do the singing, too. Singing and maybe gesticulating and saying very offensive things, whereas Irish, it's not going to be something that's like a topic. They're just going to look at someone, say they look funny, and punch them. <laughs> well, that might be a little Scottish. Same thing. They're all, they're, no, you don't want to tell them that. They're different. 
They're they're both Celtic, but the Irish and the Scottish are distinct. They are different peoples. They have a cool cross. And I have to say that because I have no Irish blood. I have a little Scottish blood. We are we are these superior Celts. I think I've got some Irish in me. I think that naturally means I'm allowed to own you. Yeah. As as a Scot. I no, think that's I've got the works. German in there, so it balances it out. Okay, so I seventy five percent then. Now, I mean, once you have a little bit in there, it kind of you get the whole inheritance. I I don't think that's how that works. That's how it works. I'm pretty sure it, it does not. It, oh, okay. Judge, judging by so... some people I've seen, I'm pretty sure that percentage matters. Ah, I, I don't know because I mean I don't want to get too politically incorrect, but it seems like it doesn't really. That doesn't really fly when you're talking about, I guess, non-JPEG descended people. Yeah. Well, Malka, let's go back to uh, the Shemites. They say if you have just a little bit of Jewish in you, you can move to Israel. And... Yeah. I actually, I don't know what the percentage they require is, but I think it's it's probably pretty low. They told, uh, what's his name, Stephen Anderson, he was accepted, didn't they? <laughs> That documentary. Yeah, well, what what percent is he? Well, he did it as like a gag, because he's like, oh yeah, everyone's going to have a little bit in there. And he's like, oh yeah, sure enough, even I do. He may. I don't know. I don't I don't remember what he said. He said like his great-grandmother or something. Great-great. Something super distant. Yeah, maybe great-great-grandmother. That's not too distant, but you know. Speaking of him, did you ever see his documentary about uh, like Zionism? I yes, I did see that. Did you enjoy it or did... it was okay? He's a little nuts, so he is, but that that does detract from things. It, it detracts, but as far as Baptists go, he's actually somewhat based. Yes, at least he is good when it comes to certain political and social issues. Not all. He's really bad on some things, but. He's obviously a complete nutter when it comes to theology. Oh, yeah. Totally. Which is, just... That's the thing about Baptists I don't understand, especially the smart ones. Like the ones who, like again, we can crack on Stephen Anderson all day. He is somewhat intelligent. I mean, he knows several languages, that type of thing. It's like, how can you get to a point where you still believe certain, like, essential Baptist teachings. They, they bought into it at some point in their past, and they will defend it to the death, regardless of what scripture or reason says. Yeah. So That's the thing as a Lutheran. You never really have to deal with that. Like, yeah, No, it's just whatever scripture says, that's what I affirm. Yeah. I don't, I don't have to fight about it. I don't have to explain it away. I don't have to make excuses for it. If scripture says it, great, I believe it. Yeah, I was getting in a, not fight, but a, a minor scuffle with some reform people on Twitter. And they were like, okay, yeah, what if I affirm uh, Christ's presence in the uh, Eucharist, but it's illocal? And I'm like, because he didn't say that it was illocal. <laughs> it's because the, the reformed just cannot get over the idea that you can have different forms of presence. Christ is sacramentally present in the Eucharist. And so the, Re the Reformed always want to make it seem like, you know, our view is tantamount to transubstantiation, where it's no longer bread, it's literal flesh. That's what they want it to be. 
like that's not the Lutheran position because it's not what Scripture says. Yeah, it says. It says this, this bread, bread is, is my body. body. Okay, we affirm that it's both. Yeah. We don't have to fall off the right side of the horse with the papists and say, nope, it's flesh, it's not bread. Me. Because Scripture doesn't say that. Or we don't fall off the, the other side of the horse with the Anabaptists and the Reformed. Yeah, I mean, I really think it should have been telling that, like, okay, Luther lived in the ripe old age and had a great life. Zwingli got killed in, like, <laughs> you know, very early on. It's like, well, also, he was annoying. Yeah. It's like, Zwingli is probably the reformer that is most likely in hell. What do you think about Calvin? Now, didn't Calvin have a view on the Eucharist that, again, it was not. He, Lutheran. he was not as bonkers yeah. as those who came after him and not as much as Zwingli. He still had serious problems. He attributed sin to God, and I know Calvinists will try to argue that he didn't actually do that, but he did. It's there in the Institutes. If you actually read what it says, he attributes sin to God. And so was he felicitously inconsistent? Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously I won't be surprised at all once I get to Paradise, but I would not be surprised to meet Calvin. Yeah. I would be surprised to meet Zwingli. I mean, he was just in such horrendous error. And, I mean, I really think, you know, everyone goes on about, oh, it's the Lutherans. They wouldn't step in line and they wouldn't allow us to be a unified Protestant whole. Yeah. You know, I really think it's the it's the Calvin, or not the Calvin. It's the Reformed. The, yeah, the Reformed. That made it impossible. They absolutely did. Because, I mean, they we can't affirm what they teach. It's in, you know, it was against scripture and... Well, because no Christian can affirm what the Reformed teach. Yeah, I mean, it's Because what they teach isn't Christian. It's so unpalatable to just say, like, oh yeah, with complete certainty, God damns you to hell for yeah. no reason. And Well, no, there's there's reason, they say. Except for the problem is they attribute the reason to God <laughs> because they say that God ordained the fall because they they what don't under, they don't on. understand free will they don't understand what ordained means ordination in the sense of ordained they don't understand all of these various things and so they wind up with this absolutely crazy idea of what God did or didn't do with regard to these things yeah and they're just they're just wildly wrong. They are, and really, if it wasn't for them, we could have had like a dang Lutheran like nation that grew and took over the world. The reform took we, that away. We certainly from us. would have been in a a better position in the Reformation era, if not for the fact that we had the reform to split things, which is too bad. It gave it gave the Papists an opportunity to come back into things and cause significant damage. Now, speaking of the Reformed, I saw something that was absolutely disgusting the other day. There is a an actual Reformed slash Lutheran congregation. And of course, the Lutheran well, that's, aspect... That's just called the Prussian Union. Well, the, uh, the Lutheran aspect is ELCA. So this is an American okay, church. Okay, so it's, it's not even Christian then. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care that. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. May their building burn down. Well, actually, no. May they sell the building to actual Christians, if it's pretty. It was a pretty building. Well, pretty in that, like, cozy Americana sense. That's still fine. Yeah. Nox. May they, say, may they sell it to some actual Christians. 
for all the warehouse churches, those ones, those could just burn down. Yeah. Or, you know, be made into a pottery barn or whatever. That's the thing about Anglicans. Like, again, I like Anglicans, and they, they have very, uh, uh, from what our uh, fellow in the Bible study always says, they have an amazing uh, hymnal, liturgy, etc. But th they just have this weird, like, almost unionistic attitude in a lot of ways. I, I mean, don't know if unionism is the they, correct term to they use. They are British. You have to remember, they are, in fact, largely British. They are going to act as if they are British. Yeah. Well, I'm talking about the online Anglicans. It's like they want to act that they're in some kind of, like, smarter position because they don't take doctrinal stances. And they'll always just get into the weeds in an annoying way. And it's almost a way that feels disingenuous. They are their own form of the kind of people who say that you are actually a Christian by some sort of emotional response to things and a certain sort of outpouring toward the world instead of, no, Christianity is a religion and it has doctrine and it has tenets. And if you do not believe them, you are not a member of the faith. So really, you're yes, saying there that... are behaviors that flow from that, but you have to actually believe the truth claims of Christianity to be a Christian. Yeah. So you're saying basically that the online Anglicans, especially the super like philosophically inclined ones, they're the spiritual but not religious people yes. of Christianity. Pretty much. Online right-wing Christianity. Pretty much, yes. The Anglicans also have an extremely wide spectrum when it comes to their churches and their members. Yeah. More so than almost any other denomination. Yeah. Baptists would probably be the only ones that compare, but that's just because the Southern Baptist Convention wanted to be a giant umbrella that encompassed everyone. Yeah. And so you have completely insane congregations and then fairly conservative traditionalist ones. I mean, you even have ones that use hymnals. Really? Oh, yeah. There, there are plenty of, like, solid Baptist... I mean, not solid in terms of well, doctrine, but solid actually, Baptist congregations that use hymnals that I are do, fairly traditional. I do know one They're that used a hymnal. A little off. It was not a traditional hymnal. It was some kind of... Basically, the music sounded like saloon music, and it was very, <laughs> like upbeat and just not nothing on par with actually so you, good you mean what's playing right now basically but in a hymnal not not that anyone will hear it after the the background noise removal plugin gets done with it but there is yes yeah, so, some uh, sort of like upbeat country-ish music yes, playing right exactly. now yeah imagine that but in a hymnal That's i legitimately don't know what this music is but it's it's a thing i hate country music it's not all bad. It is. Modern country is not really my favorite thing in the world. Now, the, the only country uh, music I'll listen to is 16 Horsepower. That's I don't even know what that is. To. It's pretentious country. How's that? Well, pretentious Christian country. I'm just trying to see if my app can identify what the music is, so I have some idea what on earth is playing. Your app tells you, this sucks. <laughs> It can't even identify it. It doesn't even know what it is. I don't blame it. Why is that playing here at this restaurant? Shouldn't they be playing German music? I, I honestly don't know. They, they seem to just kind of play some random station. Whatever the station plays is what we have to hear. Yes, I would prefer some nice brass band, um, papa, something nice, nice German music. 
Okay, so so far on this episode, we've criticized a podcast or a stream. We've criticized the Wells. We've criticized Anglicans and called them basically ethos. Are you, you taking notes over there? No, I'm not taking notes. I'm just... Actually, right now I'm playing Temple Run because I'm probably addicted to it. You, you should you should probably not. That's that's a bad sign of addiction. Yeah. Well, see, it's like my version of a fidget spinner. I don't know if it's better than a fidget spinner. Need to invest in a fidget spinner that always has something going. Yeah, I, I don't feel inclined to do that, thankfully. <laughs> now I'm not going to buy a fidget spinner. I'll be sort of insulting to myself. <laughs> well, see now, if I had the, the wireless pack, the, the two-pack, obviously, for the uh, lavalier mic, could just go get another beer and not have to disconnect, not have to, to pause things while we grab beer. But as is, um, the cable isn't quite that long. Hint Seth, I'm going to have to get Dunkel next or something else. I think I may get the Rauchbier. That sounds pretty good. Smoky flavored. Oh my gosh, this music's getting worse. It got more country. Yes, it did. It got so much more country. I mean, I've grown up here my whole life. I've never once grown an affinity for country music. I don't think you're allowed to admit that. If you're if you're from the South, I don't believe you're allowed to admit that you don't like country. I, mean, I can say that. Someone will just call me a carpetbagger, which of course is wrong because I'm not from a northern state. Hey, you're from the, the equivalent of a northern state. But am I? No, you're not. Look at the latitude. No, it's probably more southern, but it's we more are west. we are farther north right now than where I live. I am more of a southerner than you. Well, no, you're not, because the thing is, that's like saying, okay, yeah, I, I know, live in I'm, Orlando. I, I know, I'm not, I, yeah, no. Florida becomes more south as you go north, I know. Exactly. But, yeah, no, the, the south is, in fairness, to California. And even specifically Los Angeles. We did send soldiers to fight for the south. Oh, you did? Yes, we did. Nice. And they're, I think they've taken the monument down now, because I think some people defaced it, because, of course... But at one of the national cemeteries, one of the, I think it was a national cemetery, one of the cemeteries in Los Angeles, we had a section for Confederate soldiers because we did send soldiers to fight on the side of the South. You're going to start flying a Confederate It took them a long time your... to get there because there was nothing between us at the time. So it was kind of a, it was a terrible journey for them, but they did it. You need to put up a Confederate flag on your uh, SUV now. Because you're like an honorary Southerner. Uh, well, well, no, I, your family fought for the South. I have my my general rule. I agree with one of my professors in law school, criminal law professor. Actually, he, he I had him for evidence, though. But he was uh, originally a, a prosecutor and then a judge. But I agree with him with regard to bumper stickers. They are not worth it. They're not what? They are not worth it. He had more than one case... As a prosecutor that started with a bumper sticker, one of those cases was a murder case. Someone killed someone it's, over a bumper sticker. It started with a disagreement over a bumper sticker and it escalated to murder. So it's just, you know, pretty bump, insane. bumper stickers are not worth it. I don't have any. See, I don't decorate my car. It's I don't like, like sticking stuff in my vehicle. No. I just. It's like everyone wants to, oh, I'm going to make my car be like express me. I'm going like, to have some kind no, of stupid. I, yeah. My car gets me from point A to point B. 
preferably comfortably. That's really all I need. I don't I don't need it to express my personality. If it did express your personality, like your car would get defaced. Someone uh, would just yes slash the tires. I would and... certainly not be able to park in downtown even here. No. I would certainly have not been able to park in downtown L.A. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been very bad. Didn't you say there are parts here where, like, the hipster scene is, like, weirder than L.A.? Uh, the hipster scene is probably pretty comfortable there. It just depends where you are. You know, if you're in Silver Lake in L.A., then you're going to see some things. That's kind of the hipster, one of the, one of the hipster areas. But no, Knoxville has its fair share of, let's say, unique people. And it's because it's a university city. Yes, universities attract a certain crowd. But see, the, there's the benefit. Universities attract women you can go pick up. Yeah, right? that's true. Go, go find your wife. I guess I'll go talk to the one that's got green hair that's no, pouring beer. No, no. Natural hair color is a requirement. See, it works like a peacock. It's like you see the color, then all of a sudden you're like, I want that. Except for how that works is that <laughs> predators kill the peacock. It's to defend the peahen. No, no, natural. <laughs> and that is a rule for anyone who hears this. And this, I know it's Tischleiden, and so Tischleiden are not always 100% reliable, and they're not always 100% sound, but this is an absolute sound rule. If you are going to date her, she must have a natural hair color. I am not saying that necessarily she has to at that moment have her natural hair color, although preferably that's true, particularly if you are just starting to date her. Yes, your wife, once she gets older, she can dye her hair. It's vain. It's silly. But so are women. But no blue hair, no green hair, no bright orange, whatever. No, that's a deal breaker. Don't even... Don't try... Do not do that. You will cause yourself only pain and suffering. Probably true. Possibly literally if she decides to stab you in your sleep. Pray for another beer. I think that's an excellent note on which to get another beer. And we're back. Anyway, I, what I was saying was funny is the um, irony of the group sitting up here with us in the balcony. <laughs> yeah, I know. The mild contrast of the conversations and the composition of the group, groups, respectively. <sighs> it is strange. They probably heard some things that they didn't find savory. They are close enough to the TV, they may not hear us. Well, I okay. I don't personally what? care, but... No, well, okay, last time... Probably last not time the case. They, last this, time, yes, they may very well have heard some things. Yeah, this time, probably probably off the hook. Because we're kind of on the opposite that side of the balcony. That would just be their fault for being something worthy of being condemned. Yeah. It's not my fault. I did not choose that lifestyle for them. Being something worthy of condemned in a nice, upstanding German establishment. Yeah. <laughs> Also, I mean, we're we're in East Tennessee. Like, it's not a huge issue here. 
I don't know. I mean, it, I think if it we is. were in West Hollywood, okay, fine. I expect that. I expect it here. I mean, again, I knew several when I was growing up, even in elementary school. Uh, I mean, it, it is a problem for the entire country, for the entire world, realistically, particularly the Western world. But it is worse in some cities. Yeah. I mean, anytime you're going to sure have... Least, a... I'm sure everyone could name at least some of the ones in California where it is particularly a problem. Everyone immediately thinks Frisco. But Long Beach is another. And a certain subset of San Diego. Okay, despite all of this, that is not the reason I want to go there. I do eventually want to go to California just to sightsee. I was going to say, are you saying specifically San Diego? Because... No, I just really want to go to the Psycho House. That's about it. Just go to the Psycho is, House and then leave. That's not worth a 15-minute drive, let alone a whatever-how-many-hour flight. It is for me. Or even worse if you're driving. Cinema history. The drive is not a terrible drive, but the 40, or the 10 if you want to take the southern route, but the 40 is a boring highway. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, most highways are pretty boring. Oh, You're there not... are some beautiful ones in some parts of the country. Not here. <laughs> no, the, the route between Knoxville and Nashville is pretty. I don't like going to Nashville. It's nice and forested. It's, it's a pretty drive. There's there some side roads you can take that are you take longer, but it's a nicer drive. But the 40 is just until you get to the eastern, maybe third of Oklahoma, that's where you start getting trees again. Because basically you you go from north of LA, you drive through the desert, and you continue to drive through the desert for a couple states. You eventually, you do get up into, um, now I can't remember, what's the name of, anyway, there's one spot that has higher elevation that's nice, it's very pretty, it's a mountain town, it's nice and cold, and you have pine trees, it's pretty, that's, you go through that, that's the one nice spot, but then other than that, it's basically desert, it's just sand and rocks. Yeah. Then you get to northern Texas, and everything is completely flat, there's nothing there, as the, the joke goes. What's the tallest thing in northern Texas? A man standing on a phone booth. Because it's it. just, well, it's totally flat. There's nothing there. It is just, you can see as far as the visibility permits that day. You know, some places, it'll say, you know, it says the visibility for the day, right? X number of miles is how visible it is because of cloud cover and fog and all that. In Texas, that's how far you can see because there is nothing in your way. Everything is bigger and flatter in Texas. Northern Texas. Southern Texas, I assume, has some kind of something. I don't like I don't like Texas. I don't care what Texans think about that. I don't like it. It's dry, it's sandy, it's a desert. I don't find it appealing. And the mountains are ugly. Texas has mountains. Southwest. Yeah. They're they're just ugly lumps of rock. Even the, even the mountains in Southern California have more trees and foliage and other things. It's just, I think there, it's the Guadalupe range. Yeah, I mean, there are just several states I don't really care about seeing before I die. Texas <laughs> is one, Oklahoma is one. Like, again, how have you not seen Oklahoma? It's basically next door. 
Next door to what? You. Me? Yeah. How? It's ba- I said basically next door. It, there's one state between. Huh. You only have to drive through Arkansas. And Arkansas is a pretty drive. Arkansas is nice and forested and green. And... The only reason I would go to Arkansas is to see the uh, area of the Falk Monster. Or is that Missouri? The what? The Falk Monster. I don't know what that is. Boggy Creek. Uh, yeah, I believe it's Falk, Arkansas. I would go there. Because, again, that's a big fit. Destination. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, right over the border, off the 40, on the Arkansas side, there is an excellent catfish, catfish restaurant. So that is almost worth the drive. But there's a good one here, actually. There's, the only problem is the one here closes in October and doesn't open until March. Hmm. Yep, I was right. The Falk Monster. Uh, Which is what? Basically Bigfoot. Uh, they filmed a, uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek. I don't know if there's actually a... Uh, uh, yep, it received brief widespread attention in the early 70s due to sightings and claims of a Bigfoot-like creature known as the Falk Monster. Of, so course, I, of I would, course you would know that. I would go there to see that. But Oklahoma, like, why, why would I venture past Arkansas and Oklahoma? Because you're driving somewhere else? Yeah, but it's somewhere worse. Depends where you stop. I don't know the first thing about Oklahoma, therefore I don't want to go. The western half looks like northern Texas. Then why would I want to go? The eastern third looks kind of like Arkansas. Then why wouldn't I just stay in Arkansas? I didn't say there was a reason to go there. I've driven through it several times. Clearly, you just need to be kidnapped by Bigfoot. Have your your Bigfoot experience. I don't know about that. I want to see Bigfoot and not be kidnapped by him. Wouldn't be too fun. I, I'm pretty sure Bigfoot is not a thing. Hey, you never know. He could have died off. It'd just be some kind of random ape. Or again, I'm, like a... I'm pretty sure people still claim to see Bigfoot, so... It could be a demon. Are you open to the idea of a demonic apparition pretending to be Bigfoot? I mean, I guess conceivably that could happen, but... It... I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's not a very smart demon. Seems like a waste of time. I mean, yes, you're getting people to be obsessed with something weird, but I I don't feel like the people who get obsessed and weird about Bigfoot are necessarily, like, ignoring God because they think Bigfoot's real. I mean, most of them just believe that there's an undiscovered primate in America, so that's basically harmless. Yeah, so I, I don't... If it's a demon, he's not a very good demon. Yeah. He's one of the ones that are basically deaf and mute as... Um... Basically, when Jesus is talking about this one only comes out via prayer, uh, church tradition has that that demon he's talking about, that type of demon, is deaf, mute, and basically retarded. So, I mean, that's just spooper thought. There are retarded, well, there you, there you maybe that's, retarded demons That's out the Bigfoot demon is a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a special needs demon. <laughs> special needs demon. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I have... Um... 
I've done a lot of camping and hiking, often by myself, and in some very remote places, and I have never seen Bigfoot. Okay, you always, you've told me this before. You'll say, yeah, I've been out there camping, I've never seen it. Then all of a sudden, maybe five seconds later, you'll be like, I have heard some things, though. Oh, you, yeah, there's extremely weird. There is not a single person. Talk about things. Yeah, talk there about. is not a single person who has spent many hours camping, hiking, particularly alone. And has not heard or seen some weird stuff. Like what? You will definitely see, or at least usually hear more than see. I mean, yes, you'll see things out of your peripheral vision moving. But, you know, it, it could be a, a bear or a mountain lion. Or, or Bigfoot. It could be any number of things. It could be a weird dude. Who knows? There are weird people in the woods in some places. More so here than the West Coast, I think. Well, I mean, there, there's actually an urban, not, oh, okay, not an urban legend, a rural legend about um, basically mountain men who were like criminals oh, living yeah. in the Smokies, and they'll take kids and stuff, and now they live like well, off that, the grid. That probably used to happen. Who knows if it still happens, but. Well, legend you know, also has it that they sent the Green Berets in and like killed all of them that they could find. That's a little weird, but okay. You will definitely hear strange things at night, but some of them are just foxes. Foxes make a lot of very weird noises. And if you do not know... So do rabbits. If you do not know what kind of noises foxes make, it will definitely creep you out at night. They're still kind of creepy. But... Well, you just... And you'll just sometimes, you'll be hiking through a certain area, and you'll just sense that something is off. And by the way, for anyone listening, if you're hiking alone and you sense something is off, listen to that feeling. Leave. Don't keep going down that trail. That's how you wind up being a missing person. Okay, what do you think it is that's off? You, it's just something you can sense something is wrong. So has, this, has this phenomenon happened to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you avoided I've, the trail. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I've spent, like I said, a lot of times out hiking and camping alone. So, yeah, you just, you don't mess with that stuff. There's, there are demons and there's evil in the world. Don't taunt it. Yeah. It's true. But... The uh, woods demons are particularly the, the terrifying. The temperature change thing they always have in exorcism movies and things like that. Yeah, that that's real. Yeah, now I agree that it is that and uh, that is, again that is, sleep paralysis. That is a good sign that you should probably not keep going in the direction you're going if the temperature suddenly swings like forty degrees for no reason. Yeah, can't really get into too much of that stuff because the thing is. We're told so little about demons and demonology. Oh, there's very little in scripture because they're not really supposed to be something on which we spend our time. Yes, I mean, there's definitely history. There's personal experience. There's, you know, that type of thing. So you could you could very well have a folk tradition about demonology that's completely legitimate. But again, it's just one of those topics you definitely need to very be wary of who you listen to. Yes. It's like, are they in some kind of insane denomination, or are they in like a reputable, you know, basically just Lutheran? Which, again, there, there's a lot of Catholic literature I out there. I guess in fairness, the Pentecostals may have more experience with demons. 
well, Catholics do as well, because again, when I was reading <laughs> for the... a uh, little different reason for the Pentecostals, but... <laughs> yeah, that's true. But no, the, uh, it's kind of well, a the, shame, but the, the Lutheran the, exorcism... The papists have experience with demons because they constantly invite them in. Yeah. Well, it seems like they're the only ones What do they think that... all their apparitions are? If you have things appearing to you and telling you to worship something that isn't God, yeah, yeah that's a demon. Maybe stop it. That's true, but at the same time, and again, th this is all in that uh, Lutheran book, the um, the house swept clean by, what's his name? I can't yes. remember. But he had to use a lot of uh, Catholic references because for well, some reason... the thing reason, is, he's not using Roman Catholic references. He's using church references. Yeah. Because the papists will try to claim that all of church history is theirs, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Because the Lutherans are actually the continuation of the church. And so, yeah, I mean, we're the real Catholics. So. And so they split from the church in the 1500s. Yeah. And so if you're using ancient sources, you're not using Roman sources. You're using Christian sources. Yeah. Fair point. But his kind of contention, you know, he's very annoyed at the fact that, especially in North America, they're just seen, or in North American Lutheranism, it's like they just ignored demonology, they ignored uh, exorcisms and all that. And then you had the thing in 1941 happen with like the failed exorcism, and it was like a basically just a blight on the face of the church. That you know, how can we let this happen? Which again is why he wrote the book. Just is kind of sad that well, you have is... a very modernistic sense to like, okay, yeah, we're not going to talk about exorcisms and stuff because it's weird, and so. Well, the, the problem for the papists is that they carry over their ex opere operato conception of the sacraments and other things into exorcism. And they think that simply by the performance of the rite, yeah. the exorcism will be effective. And that's not what scripture says. And that's yeah, I mean, not how script, it works. Yeah, I mean, the literal it scripture, is, like people tried that and they got beaten up by demons. Yes. And their clothes ripped uh, off. But, yeah, they got. They got beaten up and stripped naked by a demon-possessed dude. Yeah, so, no, you, it is entirely reliant on God. God will either drive out the demon for you, or he will not. Yeah. And so, you have to rely on God. You have to have faith. That is, realistically, that's the answer all of the time. But, yes, specifically, here is also the answer. Have you read the book that I'm mentioning? The House yes, I, yeah. It's a good one. I highly recommend it. It is a good book. Yeah. But generally speaking, people probably shouldn't devote too much time to studying demons. No. Pastors should spend some time because they should have some idea. Yeah. But there are other topics in which one should invest time. Definitely better to know way more about the sacrament than it is the ins and outs of like demonology <laughs> and folkloric um, yes. and containing demons. And if you if you happen to be an exorcist, not that we have any right now we probably should we don't though but if you happen to be an exorcist then yes study demons you need to know about them yeah but i mean you the thing is there remember, used to be an office in the church why is it not now it should be but you do have to remember though when studying demons there's only so much information in scripture yeah there's not and almost everything else is going to be wildly unreliable because where are you getting anything else you're going to get it from people's experience and well, demons want to trick you, and they serve the father of lies. Yeah, so you you can't 
That's why I always find it funny when the the papists will try to say that, well, this priest spoke to a demon and the demon said that the rosary is the yeah, thing that, that Satan one. fears most. Going, <laughs> Gosh. You spoke to a demon and you're trusting its word. Exactly. How, how <laughs> dumb are you? Now, that one is pretty just spectacular that they they didn't see the irony. No, they, with it. I mean, they, it, they have they don't process anything. There's nothing going on upstairs. They just run with whatever they are told is church history or the church's position. They just go, yep, that's it. And they run with it. That's it. So Even the demons agree with us. Yeah, so, you know, they're they wouldn't be such bad sheep if they had shepherds who weren't false. But they have false shepherds, so. I guess they're still decent sheep, just following the wrong shepherd. Yeah, like, in this I case, mean, wolves. It is. I mean, the thing is, a really hardcore papist, they're still not a good sheep, or you know, they're they're barely Christian because they now they've been fed well, no, so they, much. They would anti- be a good. They would be a good sheep if they had a true shepherd. Yeah, because but, they do just believe in some cases. Yeah, it's just what they believe is wrong and insane. Yeah. The thing is, a lot of them have also, they've just been fed so many anti-Protestant lies. And, like, for instance, my grandmother's the best example. She just flat out said, you know, those people are not pastors, they're not priests. You have to, A, go through the Pope, and you have to believe in Mary. (laughs) And, again, she didn't elaborate. It's just like, believe in Mary. It's like, I mean... I. Yeah, I, I do believe in Mary. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I do actually believe that like Mary was a person. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that she's the pediatrics because there's no such thing. Scripture is pretty clear that there's one mediator, and that would be Christ. Yeah, Mary was in fact just a woman. A woman, you know, do reverence. She was, you know, probably the best. Woman. Still, just a woman. Just a woman. She was just a woman. A good woman. You could say that, but she was still just a woman. And she did not believe in Jesus initially, so... No, she didn't. No. Think about it. She came with his brothers and sisters to basically retrieve Jesus because they're like, no, this he's, he's clearly gone off the rails. He's nuts. Might have a demon. Hmm. So, no, she she may have understood some things, but she clearly did not understand the fullness of it. Until the resurrection. Yeah. Just the same as the apostles. They didn't get it till the resurrection. No one did. See, that's the only good point. That I think you can really say that uh, when Michael Heiser's talking, again, I'm still on that book, so I'm still reading it. It's like giant. But not that it really matters too much, but he makes it a point to be like, yes, in the Old Testament, they, they were not expecting Jesus to do what he did. Everyone looks back retroactively. Well, they, sh- they should have been. They they misinterpreted because because what the Jews wanted was they wanted a conquering king. They wanted a new David. They wanted someone who was going to slaughter their enemies, expand their borders, and bring them gold. Yeah, and that's not what Scripture promised them. It's true. But they didn't actually believe the scripture then, and they still don't believe it now. Now they have their, you know, 6,000 plus pages of fan fiction. Are you ever actually going to take the time to read the Talmud? 
I'm not. Not unless I have a compelling reason to do so. A I mean, if I were, I was, if I were producing a really long podcast critiquing the Talmud, then maybe. But someone else is going to have to buy it for me. I am not spending the money to acquire a copy of the Talmud. Certainly not before I have a full copy of the Weimar Al-Skaba, Luther's complete works. How many do we have at church? I know there's a ton, but I don't think we have them all. We probably have 60 or 70 volumes. We have almost the complete American edition. We don't have the, the Weimar edition. And I'm assuming that's still in German. Yeah, the Weimar, well, the Weimar edition is German and Latin. So, so can you read German fluently? I know you can speak I can read well. German. I can read German. I My Latin is not fluent when it comes to reading, but I can get through Latin. So can you get through, like, when you read German, is it just like you're reading an English book? Like it's... Oh, I'm, I'm still better in English than German, but I can read German fine. So I could, I could use the Weimar edition if I had it. Yeah. I'm so mad at myself for not. There's also Greek and Hebrew in there, and I'm not so good at those. Yeah. Hebrew, I know basically nothing. Hebrew is horrible. Correct. I mean, the I had a little bit of Hebrew training, and I hated it. Like, it was tough. <laughs> I, I acquired a book because I thought briefly about learning Hebrew, and then I looked at Hebrew and decided that, no, I, I will not do this, and I don't care. Yeah, now, Greek's easy, but... Yeah, I like Greek. Greek's fine. There's a lot of transliteration there are going verbs, on. And I say this as someone who knows German and is German. Their verbs can be a little long. The thing is, you know the words that create them, yes, so it's easier. Yes, that's true, but their verbs can be a little long, and like I said, they, they put some sounds together that should not be together. Yeah. But overall, Greek is Greek is fine. Greek is a functional, a good language. Unlike Hebrew. Which is neither functional nor good. Nah, it's just a language. Seems like the best Hebrew professors will actually say that, because it's like... If you have one who actually idolizes Hebrew, he's probably <laughs> that's some not sort good, of like that's not a good about it, who's yeah. not, not really adept at it. At least that's my take. The best people who are like Hebrew scholars that I've ever listened to, it's like they're not just like, oh, this is the best language ever. They they kind of spend a lot of time like denouncing weirdos like that, who again, most of these weirdos are going to be like Hebrew roots or something crazy. Yes, that's that's one of the fundamental problems with Hebrew is you get the people who get really weird about it. Like, no, we have to be Jews and follow the mitzvot. We have to not okay, eat ham of... or pork and we have to not eat seafood. And Okay, so one Jewish thing that you actually do see carry over, even into good streams of Christianity, is... Circumcision. No, not circumcision. Not... That's another discussion. Yeah, definitely not Circum... that one. Wait, no, but circumcision is evil and you should not do it. Yeah, okay, so this is one I'm... Tell your on. parents they were wrong. Anyway. The one where, okay, in the Bible, where originally it would have said Yahweh, it will say the Lord. Yeah. And they will be adamant, like, even in Hebrew classes, I... you do not say Yahweh. I... No, because it's not Yahweh. What is it? We don't know. Mm, well, no, we don't know. I've always been told We that do not know. We could figure it out, but the reason nope, we can't we is know. because... When they did the uh, the Masoretes did their thing, they made it to where we couldn't pronounce it. But we could... That was their goal. Yeah, but we can reasonably infer how to pronounce it just by knowing Hebrew, the rest of Hebrew. You can guess. Does that seem like something about which you should guess? Uh, we don't know what the vowels are. Yeah, but there weren't vowels to begin with. No, there were. Hebrew is written without vowels. It had vowels. 
You just had to know what they were. Okay, so fair. they would have known. They wrote it without vowels. They would have known what it actually was. We do not know. Having a language without vowels, why? Well, they no, they have vowels. They just wrote it without vowels because it saved space and time. Yeah. When you're writing on stone or vellum, space is at a premium. True. So you don't believe, you think it actually could be something other than Yahweh? We, we don't know, and so I think it's silly to use it. If you want to use the Tetragrammaton as decoration for something, have fun, by all means. We It's used on the Book of Concord. It's on the title page. Yeah. Or the cover. Anyway, go ahead. But you cannot definitively say that Yahweh is the name of God. Okay, when you say Yahweh, it's no, probably better guess no than Jehovah. I don't I don't think we should use either. Just use the Lord. Use God. We have we have names for God that are used in scripture and we know what they are. So use the ones we know. That's don't, true. Don't Fair use enough. the one that we literally don't know what it is. <laughs> and that the reason we don't know is because people wrote it in such a way as not to know because they didn't want to use it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we shouldn't because really be like go, we shouldn't be going crazy about using uh, the Hebrew like roots anyway, like we again just say Lord and God because we speak English. Yeah, exactly. Just translate it into English. It's fine in English. Now, Hebrew roots people are insane. And again, like I said, they're the most annoying. Because again, all these people that we dislike, at least sometimes they have good aesthetics. The The Hebrew roots guys well, don't. Not the reform. Some of them do. Some no, of them they all, don't. The, Look at their churches. Their churches are hideous. Oh, I'm looks talking, like it looks like a psych ward. I'm talking about their uh, online accounts. Sometimes, but the thing is, they don't like art. They, they like vaporwave. They don't have nice buildings. No. And like I said, it, it literally looks like a psych ward in a lot of their buildings. It's just white. Yeah, no, it's horrible, but that, that's it's still oppressively better. awful. It's demonic. No, it's oppressively awful and demonic, but it is better than the Hebrew roots people. They, well, they can take well, yeah, but that's just because the Hebrew roots person is usually some dude who looks like he hasn't shaved in five months, and by that I don't mean has a beard, I mean he looks unkempt. Looks like the kind of person you meet in like a 7-Eleven parking lot yeah. at 3 in the morning on a Tuesday. This, yeah, they're crazy people. And who's, you know, wearing eight clashing pieces of clothing, none of which fit. Not because he's poor, not because he's a hobo, but because that's just what he thinks looks good. Yeah. That's just how he dresses. Like, that's... Yeah, that... No. If that person is the face of your religion, your group, then maybe you need to reconsider something. If Steven Anderson is the face of your group, you need to reconsider some things. That guy looks nutto. Yeah, no. Uh, my dad, like, he's never even seen, like, a Steven Anderson thing. I was just watching something one time, and he popped up. Yeah. And immediately, with no context, like, my dad's just like, I don't like that guy. Your father was correct. He was, yes. You can take uh, one you, look at you Stephen Anderson. You can't immediately tell that he is... There's something off there. Yeah. He seems slimy and a bit weird, and he's nuts. He was conceived with a weak sperm. <laughs> I mean, how much of a nutter do you have to be to go over to Germany and try to spread Baptist theology? <laughs> Gosh. Like, come on. Well, I mean, it, 
in fairness, there probably are a good number of Germans in back or well, they the Anabaptists, they were German originally. Um they got killed. I was going to say they were a nutball cult that took over a city and then and the imperial army was brought in to kill them. And then the leaders were put in cages and left to die. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a pretty good solution to crazy people. Yeah. Totally. It should be Heretics, brought back. Stick them in a cage, wait till they die. That's pretty effective. Yeah. I mean, we need to get rid of this like tolerance nonsense because, again, these people want to send people to hell. That's what they, they're false shepherds. Yep. And you cannot steal sheep from a false shepherd. So people need to get over that. You don't. You do not steal sheep from a false shepherd. You rescue sheep from a false shepherd. Yeah, that's like finding sheep being led around by a wolf and saying, "Well, I can't take the sheep because that'd be stealing." It's like, no, you're your you're, job sa- is you're saving them from the wolf. Yeah, do that. Okay, what do you think about this banjo music that no one's gonna hear? It the music here is so weird. It, it bounces back and forth between. Weird country and like kind of pop, and I don't understand this station. I don't think there's like a, a rhyme to it. They just whatever, whoever comes in that day flips some sort of station on. And that's it. I know a lot of breweries will let the staff play music. I don't know that they're doing that here. This may just be some weird radio station that makes no sense. Maybe. No, nah, I don't think it but, is. I mean, but yes, the, the plug-in will eliminate all of the background music, so no one else has to be subjected to whatever is going on. It's so... Like, when you look at the decorations, you would not expect to hear that. No, if I walked into a place in Germany that looked like this, it'd be like, okay, that's fine. And then if I heard this, I would go, I... What? Where am I? It'd make no sense. Unless you're trying to make some sort of, like, Hokey kitsch American bar in Europe for some reason. Well, this place is supposed to be a hokey kitsch German bar. <laughs> it's not. It's not really kitsch. It's just they honestly made it pretty much like you would see a a, a German bar in Germany would be decorated kind of like this. Place does rule. Imagine it's if they. Of, uh, it's kind of Bavarian, but not a hundred percent. It's, I don't know it's if, got more of a rural flair. I don't know if they are Bavarian or not. Sadly, but, I'm Bavarian. But it is expected in the U.S. when you make something German, people expect Bavarian aesthetic. Because that's what carries over from Oktoberfest, because Oktoberfest is primarily based in Munchen, based in Bayern. Yeah. So. I like the Bavar- uh, Bavarian aesthetic. It's more primal and kind of manly. I don't know. It's more rural. You just want to wear Lederhosen. Nah. Lederhosen, they just... I don't think they would flatter me. They're fine as long as you get a good pair, but a good pair is a thousand bucks. Gosh, no. Give or take. They're, it's your it's your Sunday best. You wear it for your wedding. That's your... I thought that was just considered, like, your working nope. clothes nope. or something. That's your... Sometimes, yes. You know, but... No, that's your your Sunday best. You get married in that. The the nice pair, anyway. Need to invest in a better wardrobe. Literally, I have one suit jacket, but it's like a sport jacket. I've just never worn suits. Those are the same thing. They aren't. See, I didn't even know that. Yeah, pretty much. 
They just, I don't know. Never sport won. Coat. Yeah, sport coat. There are differences, but they're it, it's like the, they're not relevant for anyone today, really. Unless you're if you're attending a, a black tie event, maybe you care about the difference. On these, it's like the shoulders are like square or something. They're not normal. I don't know. You have what well, you have like a lot of padding in them. I mean, there's going to be a little bit of. Actually, I don't think this suit has any padding in it, but or not. There's a little padding in my suit yeah. for the shoulders. There should be a little bit there. That's the the style. There's supposedly a pretty nice place for custom suits right here in downtown. I can't remember the name of the tailor. But yes, always, always get your suit tailored so that it actually fits properly. Uh, so you're saying don't go to JCPenney? No, you can totally go there, but don't go there. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I think now they're I'm, all closed. No, I'm, I'm saying you can totally go there. It is fine to go to a place like that, but don't go to JCPenney. Go to Nordstrom Rack. Nordstrom Rack is where you're going to get the best option at a reasonable price. And a lot of them even have a tailor on site that will do some minor alterations for you. <coughs> and if you just spend a little bit of money on some basic alterations, you can easily get a very nice suit for very little at a place like Nordstrom Rack. Maybe Nordstrom, uh, whatever, they'll actually sponsor us. We need money. I highly doubt it. But you do not have to spend a thousand dollars to get a nice suit. You don't. You're going to spend at least two or three hundred. You just are. But will you get a much nicer suit if you spend a thousand, two thousand on it? Probably. But you can definitely get a good suit for wearing to whatever for you know three, three fifty. Yeah. Or if you get lucky, you may get one that's like on clearance at Nordstrom Rack and get a great suit for ninety bucks. Okay, I so friend, I have a friend who used to. He has a ridiculous. His wife is in fashion, uh -huh. so he's got a ridiculous wardrobe. But he would go to Nordstrom Rack twice a week. Oh my gosh, it was it was on the way home from work, basically. So he'd stop by it on the way home and just quickly browse through the suit section, see if there was anything in his size that he liked. Because sometimes, like, he, I think he got a couple suits for, like, 60 or 70 bucks. A, like, a nice suit. So, you know, that's worth it. Yeah. I mean, you figure you spend an hour, 90 minutes a week, a week at the place, and you get a $1,000 suit for 100 bucks. Yeah, that's pretty nice. That's not too bad. Now, that's I was going to say, first, we um, made it uh, kind of dogged on another podcast, then the Wells... Then Hebrew roots people. You're, you're keeping much too close of a, a track then here. Anglicans, for, for, for and finally J.C. Penny. J.C. Penny is. Does like, J.C. Penny even exist anymore? No, I don't think it. Is does. that the one that went out of business? I think it did. There, there's some founder somewhere who's probably mad right now. I couldn't care less. Now apparently J.C. Penny is still a thing. <laughs> At least it shows up on the map. I don't know. I hate shopping. No, I don't do that. I despise it. I, I do my research, figure out what I want, go and I get the item and I leave. Well, I, I do like book shopping. That's the only time I'll actually spend a lot of time, but practical that's, things that's like different. clothes now. Well, 
if you're going to get a good suit, like actually a, like a custom suit, you're going to have tailored and nice, and you have to expect you're going to spend a good chunk of your day because you're going to go to the tailor, you're going to get all the measurements taken, you're going to be asked a whole bunch of questions, shown fabrics. Expect to spend four to six hours. It's just, hopefully it's a good tailor. They'll give you a glass of champagne or something while you wait. I can deal with that, free champagne. Well, I mean, it's not free. You're buying a suit. You are, but the champagne's, I mean, it's technically free. It's okay, not included it's, in price. It's the, the same way they get people with so many other things. Like, this is a complimentary. No, it's not. I'm spending $1,000 at your establishment. This is not complimentary at all. It works on me. I paid you for this. I know how this works. It does work, though. It you know it absolutely works. It's the same thing as why most places have three different sizes for various food and drink items, because they want you to buy the middle one, and people do. Except for I guess here in the south, it doesn't work so well since most people like I just want the biggest one. I'll take the most sugar, the biggest soda, and eight pounds of French fries. And, we had, and then I will waddle out the door. We had French fries for lunch, so curry works. It's fine to have the stuff. It's a matter of moderation. Of it's it's portion control. It's how much you eat. If you're just shoveling food into your face all the time, which is a big problem. A lot of people in the U.S. who are wildly obese, snack, wildly. they snack constantly. They're just always shoveling something into their... Stop it. Those are the people for whom intermittent fasting is a great idea. Those people should spend, you know, the majority of their time fasting. Have a, whatever it is, a two-hour, three-hour, four-hour window. You're allowed to eat during that and don't eat anything else outside of it. Drink water or tea. Not, or beer. not sweet tea. I hate that I have to specify that. That's one thing I, I have to specify here when I order a restaurant. It's, and I don't like that they call it unsweet tea. But it's not sweet, therefore it is it's not, unsweet. It is not unsweet tea. It is unsweetened tea. Use the adjective. Yeah. And not only that, the default for tea is unsweetened. So yeah. if I want something else, I would have to request sweet tea. And now, it's not. You could, it, you could call it sweetened tea because it is sweetened tea, but sweet tea obviously is a compound noun. It has a set meaning. That's fine. Well, so does unsweetened. But it doesn't, because that's just tea. But it's unsweet. It's not, though. It is just tea. Tea is not a sweet beverage. Tea is just dirty water that tastes good. Oh, well, it only tastes good if it's sweet. Unsweet tea oh, will never taste good. I hate sweet tea. Oh. I was at the, um, the Right to Life banquet here in Tennessee. I mean, whenever that was, month ago, two months—I don't remember. Not that long ago. Anyway, I was at that, and I ordered tea. I was very specific to say. Actually, the the waitress did ask if she wanted if I wanted sweet or unsweet. I did make sure I said unsweetened tea. But it arrived, and it was sweet tea. And I took a sip, and I just like your face just scrunches up because you're not expecting something that cloyingly sweet. And Pastor Schultz's wife was. Sitting there, and she noticed my reaction and said, "Got sweet tea on accident?" It's like, "Yes, I did," and I did not enjoy it. I like it. I mean, be honest. When you're drinking hot tea, 
You never drink it unsweetened, ever. No one does. I do. Why? It's horrible. I don't. I don't add sugar to my tea. I drink tea. What do you think's in my hydro flask that I have with me at all times, except for right now because it's in my car? I, it should be sweetened, whatever it is. It is cold brewed Earl Grey with nothing in it. Earl Grey with nothing sweet in it. No. That's disgusting. Why would I put sugar in my hydro flask? Then it'll just grow mold. Well, to be honest, I think the best way to drink tea is with some sort of cream and a sweetener. So you're British? Yes. Okay. No, the best way to drink tea, and I don't care what the British, the Indians, or anyone else happens to think about this, the best way to drink tea, period, is cold-brewed Earl Grey. The British are correct in this because, like, that's their thing. So you're yeah. wrong. Well, no, that just tells you how wrong the British are. No, they're, they're, they're wrong about the one thing on which they're supposedly right, which means they're wrong about everything. <sighs> Except for fish and chips. They're right about fish, fish and, and chips. chips. is good. And malt vinegar. They are right about malt vinegar. Malt vinegar is lovely. Malt vinegar is very good. I and Worcestershire sauce. That's also good. That's British? Yeah. I didn't know that. Really? Worcestershire? Nope. Worcestershire. I mean, when you say it like that. <laughs> Worcestershire. Just depends on which accent you're using from which region. But. Yeah, the British. Eh. So what about Anglo-Lutheran? Isn't that kind of a thing? I don't. I have no idea. I don't think so, though. I'm pretty sure it is, because, again, they just have that I mean, laxity. We have, we have an English... What do you mean, exactly? Like, again, there's different, like, theological schools within Anglicanism, and there are ones who are essentially Lutheran. There are probably ones who agree more with us than others, yes. But that would just make sense, because they are Protestant, and then the ones that haven't decided to toss out all of the good with the bad would be closer to us. If True. King Henry had just been less of what he was and not killed Robert Barnes, then... you believe King Henry will be in heaven or hell? I don't know in his case. I just, I don't know. It's, it's too difficult to guess. And if I don't have sufficient information, I'm not willing to hazard a guess. So I just, I do not know. But if he had murdered Robert Barnes, then most likely England would have been Lutheran. <laughs> and that would have avoided so many problems in history. But he was too busy trying to be friendly with the Pope at the same time as trying to collect wives. It is true. Which he was just stupid, because, like, polygyny is totally morally permissible. It's allowed in Scripture. Just get an additional wife. You don't have to kill the old one to get a new one. I can't just tell get you how many one. people I've, like, in conversation with, you know, theological circles... They hate them. I like, know. They see that they're like, they believe that's well, like a cult because it because it like, runs because it runs against their egalitarian, their enlightenment priors. They want men and women to be equal, and men and women are not equal. One man is allowed to own a dozen women. Mm -hmm. That is permitted by scripture. Yep. And so, literally King David. I mean, so that you don't need another know, example. Or Solomon. I mean So Henry should have just taken however many wives he wanted. You know, if you want eight additional wives, marry eight more women. 
whatever. Don't kill the old yeah, wives. You're, if you, you start killing you your old wives, now there's a problem. But if you just want to marry more of them, that's why. I mean, obviously, he was also just... You can't really fault him for it because it was a matter of the era in which he lived and they didn't understand the biology. So he didn't know that he wasn't having sons because he wasn't having sons. Because obviously it's the man who's responsible for the gender of the child. It is. Yes. I know that. Did you not pay attention to biology? I don't think they ever went over it. Women? They should have. Basic crash course in genetics, I guess. Women have two X chromosomes. Men have an X and a Y. When women produce an egg, it has one X chromosome. When men produce a sperm, it has an X or a Y. It is therefore the sperm that determines the gender, the sex of the child. And so Henry trying to get additional women to hopefully give him a son, well, he was the one determining, really, whether or not he had a son. So, Not consciously. No, of course not. Men have no control over that, but... I mean, I suppose there should could be some kind of biochemistry involved on the woman's side that makes a, a female or a male more likely. I think there probably is basal body temperature and things like that. But it still comes down to which sperm is involved, and he is the one producing those. So You just have to concentrate really hard. I want this one to be a boy. That's clearly how it works. Now, the furthest biology I ever got was, like, literally, I just remember Gregor Mendel. State of American education isn't good. I... Now, some of this could have been me because, I mean, I'm not going to pay attention to biology until it's boring, but... I think I took Bio 2 AP. See, I never had an AP science class. I only had AP English, AP History, AP... Maybe... Okay, that's AP World History. I basically, basically, all of my classes my last two years in high school were AP. Yeah, I had something else. And I some sophomore remember. year, I think. Well, I, I had a, there was a difference. That AP freshman year. It's been it's been a long time since I was in high school. There was a difference between AP and honors. I was in a ton of honors, only a couple AP, but I think that's because my high school didn't offer AP and my my high school was in the top. I think at the time I was attending, the top five or ten in the country. Hmm. So probably also why my high school still offered Latin. Yeah, not so common today. Does it still offer Latin now? I believe so. <laughs> Mrs. Nah, that... Mrs. Maxwell has undoubtedly retired since I think she was 70 when I was there. You never know. So that's I... the thing people always say. They'll be like, yeah, that person was old when I was young, and now they look exactly <laughs> the same. It's a common thing you'll hear. I think Mrs. Maxwell is definitely retired, though. Or dead. She could be. No, there wasn't Latin in my we high had, school. We had a, a Latin convention every year in California where all the schools that had Latin, you went and competed in Latin. Okay, that sounds like an awesome convention. And you probably go in there and you're like, huh, is this well, some kind also, of convention or a cult meeting? You did also wear a toga, so that it leaned toward the cult meeting because of that. Gosh. Did you go to it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll never forget. I my... think I was competing on... I think I did history. I didn't do the the grammar, I don't think. I could have gone to a couple of them, but I just, in high school, I didn't really care. Like, I mean, I, I had good grades and everything, but, like, I, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go over to this, like, competition and show how smart I am. Like, who cares? I'm going to go read a book or something. Yeah. 
But I'll never forget that my father told me he went to a competition like that one time and it came down to like the final uh, question. And it could have been some kind of subconscious thing. He didn't know the answer, but he just blurted out nonsense and it ended up being correct. (laughs) And again, he swears up and down. It happened exactly, exactly like that. It could have been something different, but. The only competition stuff I did in high school would be Latin convention. I was on the the choir, which we did go to competitions for that. And then I did Junior Statesman of America, which was like the more combative version of Mock United Nations or Model UN, whatever you want to call it. Why don't you? Yeah, my, my school didn't have that. Yeah, JSA was the, the more combative version a lot a lot more arguing it was more fun i was on some kind of committee in high school that was like what was it's basically a thing where it's like the student representative of like a controlling board that made decisions so it, it wasn't like a student council it was different than that it was something where it was like know. you meet with like the uh actually the principal and a couple other people I mean, that and just sounds like a board. It was some kind of board. I can't remember what it was, but I was on that. That's about the only thing I did. Now, I did more things in college and high school. I went to a very small rural high school, so there wasn't much to do, but I did a couple more things just, in college. Just for fun, what was the size of your graduating class? I don't know the graduating class, but I know that in total, the high school was like 1,500 or something. That's not too small then. Well, but it's for like one for a pretty large area, like only one high school, and like you know. Yeah, my my graduating class was twelve hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I think about it, in Cobb County, there's only two. I think there's only two high schools. There's one, the one I went to, and then there's like this other one that's a little bit closer to Gatlinburg. So it's okay. not getting somewhat more of a different area than yes. the area proper. Yeah, yes, it is correct. There's only one high school in the whole county other than that other one that's like right next to another county. There are too many counties in Tennessee. There are. I just find it funny because... Yeah, when you look at maps, like, the county sizes everywhere else are giant. Not everywhere. The the East Coast has smaller counties. If you look at the West Coast... Yeah, they're particularly states. Particularly California, like, L.A. County has more people than most states. Yeah. I mean, L.A. County is massive. I mean, granted, it's probably still small in terms of population compared to some places in the world, but still, for the U.S. It's like 10 million people. Yeah, I mean, isn't Tennessee just like 5 million people? I don't remember. I do not remember the population of the state. Let's see. According to Wikipedia... Tennessee has a population of, why are there so many, 7 million. 7. So yes, L.A. County is bigger than Tennessee in terms of population. 
So do you prefer L.A. County or do you prefer Tennessee since you have moved here? I like Northern California. I'm not as fond of Southern California and at the very least what it has become. I mean, obviously I moved because California is a dumpster fire at this point. But it's a dumpster fire because of the same problems the rest of the country has. Yeah. And that's why I find it funny when people try to say that California is the source of the problems or, you know, California is causing... No, California is what is happening to everywhere else because everywhere else did it to California first. California isn't the one that passed amnesty. That was passed at a national level. It just destroyed California. And so... What happened in California and to California is what's coming to the rest of the country. It's not that California is bringing it to everyone. It's that it's just that is the way things are trending. Now, of course, the goal is to avoid that trend. And so, yes, there are a lot of things here that are better than there. Now, I think we need to make a push. We're going to have to move all the Californians out of Tennessee. And sadly, you'll good, have to go. Good luck. Yeah. There's going to be an army of like rednecks at your door at 7 p.m. They're yeah, going to have yeah, pitchforks. But, but see, I can pick up an accent <laughs> easily. And also, I probably have family roots here longer than you. No, you probably do. I mean, again, my father came over from Germany and still spoke German. My, my, earliest ancestor. I actually don't know the earliest ancestor, but I was just looking at one of my family trees last week, and one of my family members is on the manifests and the various documentation from the ships in the city in 1634 in Massachusetts. Not Tennessee. No, but they <laughs> moved. Obviously, they... Well, you have to stop on the coast because that's how that works, but... They did move to Michigan, Iowa, and Tennessee. That's where my family moved and lived for centuries. So my family's been here a very long time. I don't know much about my... I've still got tons of cousins around here. Do you talk to them or not? Oh, yeah. yeah they, they come over. I know them. I've been, I'd been here before. I, had, this was, I did not move here, and I had been here. I had been out to visit a number of times. I don't really know much of my family on my mother's side. And then, of course, the German side, that's all in Germany. So, yeah. I mean, there's one set of grandparents or one grandma here. That's about it. So, there are too many of my clan here in Tennessee. We're like a little alien subset. <laughs> all of my family is Michigan, Iowa, Tennessee, a few still in California, and then the rest is Germany. So when people tell me I'm not really American, yeah, I can job with that. I mean, I'm some kind of subversive foreigner. I mean, that means I'm more Tennessee than you. Yep. But that means I'm more of a subversive foreigner than the Californian who moved I, from California. Exactly. So it's a complete flip-flop. I, I don't think that I will 
take the step of affecting a southern accent. I think I will avoid that. You need to do it. I know. Once on I, the podcast. I know there are politicians who like to do that, pick up that southern accent as soon Bill as, it, <laughs> particularly as soon as they start campaigning in the south. But I think I, I will sure pass. Being uh, I am a Californian. I speak like a Californian. I do not have an accent. Well, throw on the uh, the Tennessee accent. You need to. Which one? The one that's not gay. Because I have to say, yours is not as deep woods southern as some of the ones I have heard here. Oh, I gosh. Have I'll never forget. I have one... encountered some where I had trouble. No, I do. It's okay. One time, my friend and I, uh, we went with him and his uh, parents. Like, they were going to buy a puppy. And so they went to this house where they, like, uh, you know, they're a breeder. And we go in, and the, the father answers us first, and he has just this weird draw where it's like everything they say is, like, elongated. <laughs> and so he goes into one room, and then all the female members, I mean, everyone comes out, or, you know, the family, everyone comes out just saying hi to us, and they all sounded exactly the same way. And I'm just remembering, because we were little at the time and kind of, weird, you know, mischievous. We couldn't help them. We laughed at them <laughs> in yeah, their own yeah. house. That's that's not nice of you. It, it's You're not, not supposed nice. to do that. We can't help it because it's like every member of the family talked with the, this exact same weird dialect huh. we had never heard before. You were in uh, Appalachia. Again, I've lived here. I've never heard that since. It's something I can't replicate it, but it was very weird. But maybe just limited to this one family. It's like a Lovecraftian thing going on. I have no idea. They have other family members that live under the house, and it is, it is interesting how these southern parts of countries wind up with odd accents. I mean, what it is, it's just separated by mountains, so you have some people over here and some people over there. Sure, but Californians speak standard English. We are, in fact, the standard speakers of English, Southern Californians. Northern Californians, and I, I could already think of some people who will be messaging me about that one, but Northern Californians have their quirks. One quirks be are better if it's a spice a lot. One being they say hella, and I am willing to, like, stuff them in a trash can because of that. It's a horrible word. They should be ashamed. But that, That's one uh, they piece are, of Zoomer slang I've never used. They are distinct from, it, it comes from Northern California. They are distinct from Southern California. Southern Californians speak standard English. We do not accent any of our words. If you look at the dictionary and the way Californian, Southern Californians pronounce words, it is one-to-one. -one. We do not accent them. I'm not impressed. And I yet, think that's just boring. And yet the South has this, well, actually not this, because it's these, collection of accents. But it's interesting that it's the Southern part of the country that has it. Although, I guess in the U.S., you also do have it on the Northeast the northeastern states have different acts, particularly Boston. God Maine is very God bad. forbid. It's hard to understand people in Maine. But it's the same in Germany, to some degree. Standard German. German, as it appears in the dictionary, is northern German. It is... Berliners have a couple of things they say that distinguish them as Berliners. I can think of some people who will message me on that one as well. And But... Now, I'm, I'm going to have to stick up for the less culture here. This, this is going to be a white people don't spice their food scenario. But Bavarians, 
are the ones, it's again the Southerners who have that accent. Although yeah. it's not as bad as the Austrians. I will never forgive the Austrians of the fact that they allied ich to just an I and then pronounce it E. Ich. Ich, I. The word for I in German. Ich, ich bin, ich habe. Wait, so how the Austrians do it? They allied the CH, so it's just the I. But then because it's just an I, and I is long in German, they pronounce it E. So it's not ich, it's E. 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 That's pretty bad. E habe. It's like, it hurts to hear it. Like, it's actually painful. I hate it. It's why the Germans have to conquer Austria and civilize them. So that they can learn to speak German. Didn't Hitler try to end that? Kind of, but kind of in reverse because he was Austrian and then became <laughs> Chancellor of Germany and then conquered Austria. So, you know, it's a little, little switcheroo going on there, but still. He actually, we do have a recording of him in his natural German and it is Austrian. Really? Yeah. He so just, he would have said E. He just, I don't know if it would have been E at that time. I actually honestly know, but he totally suppressed that when he was speaking. He spoke standard German when he was speaking. Giving speeches and such. Which makes sense because you, you probably want people to understand you. Yeah. Especially if you want to be a dictator. A good dictator. Well, at least an autocrat, shall we say. Well, I do think that next time I will have to bring my charger because it looks like my ancient laptop battery is finally starting to do what batteries typically do. Which, I have to say... I am not in any way compensated by Apple. I have never worked for Apple, but I am going to go ahead and praise Apple on this. This is a decade-old laptop. Yeah. And it has managed to record audio from two sources to three files for two hours on a decade-old battery. So it's still recording now. And it is still recording. <laughs> the average lifespan expected of hard drives and batteries and those kind of components in laptops is usually around three years. That is impressive. Well, thing is, but I always heard that Apple... being said, it is a 2% battery, so we are re real near the end here. I was going to say, it, I've always heard the opposite because everyone always says that Apple is the one that, like, you know, makes their devices, like, self-destruct. People like to say that, but they're totally wrong. So they are. Macs maintain their value, and they're just made with better components. They last longer. What about iPhones? You pay more upfront. The thing about an iPhone is that an iPhone is kind of a disposable item because it's a handheld computer you use a lot and the technology changes so frequently. Yeah. It's not like a laptop where, like, I mean, like I said, I'm using a 10-year-old laptop. It still works. It works great. I'm on an older version of Mac OS because I cannot update to the most recent one because, yeah. again, 10 years old. But it works. It works well. Yeah. It's still a good computer. Well, you were ready to call the recording a day or whatever. Yeah, I think I think we'll go ahead and call it since it just dropped to two percent, and that means pretty soon we're going to die. So, I think that is it for the tissue for the last Sunday of the church year. Advent is next.